Hello everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Talking City podcast with your multimedia host and YouTube host, Conor McGilligan. And as always, I am joined by your chief Manchester City writer, Simon Bakowski. We're here again, we're still Talking City even when City aren't playing. And um, yeah, there's no better place to start than Ukraine versus England, of course, with all the City influx there. But to start with, Si, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Put a bit of pressure on me then saying, I'm, as always... <laughs> It is though, isn't it? Working out how to tell you I can't do the next one. <laughs> God. Well, it's out there now, so fine. The producers having a meltdown about yeah. the team. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, no, good. Just uh, looking forward to football coming back, even if it's not coming home. Nice. Like it. Um, yeah, so another good segue, as we keep saying on these podcasts. Ukraine, England. Yes. Which is, I mean, city-wise, we're obviously in, in further acts going to be speaking about the Champions League coming up, of course. City returning to action, four wins out of four, all that good stuff. But we've got to start with City's players been on the pitch for England, marginally for some, of course. But Ukraine won, England won. Walker on the score sheet, good for him. Um, positive as well. Obviously, Southgate setting up in a very Southgate way, which we'll get onto in a little bit. But... Positives there. Welcome to the score yeah. sheet. Um, it was almost sort of rubbing salt into German wounds, wasn't it? It was like all the problems that they've got with their national team and then as if that wasn't bad enough, you see sort of what Bayern could have won with Harry Kane to Kyle Walker um, for the goal. Yeah, it was a, a sticky England performance, but Walker is just living his best life at the minute, really, isn't he? He's, you know, can do no wrong with City and can do no wrong with... Um, with England, I don't know if you saw the uh, two-touch um, Walker was playing as well with uh, Jude Bellingham and Phillips and uh, and Ramsdale, where Walker's just like schooling Jude Bellingham. It's like, what on earth is going on there? But yeah, um, he doesn't score many goals, Cal. I think that was his first international goal, but um, he's just flying at the minute. Yeah, I think it's he's at this like stage in his career really Walker right now isn't he where he's almost uh, it feels like he's got a bit of a, not a chip on his shoulder as such because everyone at City obviously loves him but there's all of these like contract negotiations and his position being up for debate as well within the England ranks at this moment in time feels like he's got a real point to prove at the minute and he's proven it isn't he yeah, I mean, Southgate said after that game that he'd um, talked him out of international retirement twice and then sort of backtracked and kind of said, oh, maybe that wasn't my news to give. And, and then Walker was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it happened. Um, I think Walker is someone who you kind of, you've seen it through his career. You've seen when he moved from Tottenham to City and he got a lot of stick for doing that, but he kind of felt he had another level to his game at a time when Mauricio Pochettino, who, you know, fantastic manager but was sort of saying no I don't think he has got that level um, Walker as many people with that mindset do you see it with Pep a lot loves proving people wrong loves saying you think I can't do that well I can and I still can and you know Walker enjoys few things more than uh, out sprinting like a 20 year old and things like that and still keeping that that edge and winning those training games even um, and, you know, last year at City, he was left out of the Champions League final. He was left out of the team for a lot in the second half of the season. And he had to kind of find a, an answer to that, really. And it's going to be interesting going forward to see how he, whether he can keep at that level because John Stones is coming back and Stones kind of was operating at right back uh, when he was moving into midfield. So will we see Walker kind of in a bigger battle than he has been maybe again? Um this season that's to come but for now Walker has kind of answered every challenge he's got and he had Bayern fighting to get him in the summer and he had City go above and beyond to keep him so he is very much in demand and he and he is showing showing why really and the new deal with that obviously being spoken about the minute you know it's not signed sealed and delivered yeah I mean he was asked about it after the game and he was a little bit more that I was sort of sheepish about it. I'm not, you know, drawing conclusions there, but it's one of those things where I think he was more focused on his performance after the game for England. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he spoke to us after the Fulham game that City played and, and it, it's done, it'll happen. So 
Um, the fact that City are signing up a 33-year-old on for three years tells you um, how much they wanted to keep him, especially when you know they only signed, well, they only offered Gundogan one year for a long time. Uh, Gundogan spoke about that this week, I think, or last this week, yeah, um, or last week. I lose track of time. Um, but basically saying, you know, City didn't give me a proper offer until May when it was almost too late and I didn't want to think about things because, um, you know, City were going for going for the treble and Gundogan didn't have time to process it. And that, as much as people may try and say otherwise, you know, that really was a huge factor in Gundogan leaving because he City didn't think that he was worth more than a one-year deal until it was too late and I mean there's also an argument to be had that maybe he wasn't worth more than a one year deal but it, it, he his form in April and May and June meant that it looked ridiculous that City didn't offer him more than that by the time that they weren't offering by the time that they were um, so maybe City have realised with what through Gundogan that yeah we need to um, offer a bit more than we normally would to keep players of of such importance and having lost Gundo and having lost Mares, City really didn't want to lose Walker this summer and that is kind of reflected in that in that three year deal that is is definitely coming. Would you have given Gundogan a longer deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I would have given him two, but like I say, I think the debate became more kind of ludicrous because Gundogan was so important and scored those goals like um against Leicester against Everton against United, you know, wins them the FA Cup, basically, and you're saying, um, is he only worth one more year? Like, I think City's issue was like, when when will his legs go, kind of thing. Um, and, you know, the need to kind of move, move players on, even when they necessarily don't think they should be moved on. And we've seen they bought Kovacic, who's younger, and they bought... Um, Nunez who's younger as well so they have refreshed that midfield but kind of when Gundogan is playing as well as he was even for his age you think well let's let's probably um, keep him on and I, I think it's difficult because you can set these kind of parameters as a club and say we won't offer more for you know a 30 plus year old or whatever but when they are as good as those players can be it then says well maybe because they are exceptional, maybe you need to offer an exceptional deal. And the Walker deal is is certainly exceptional. But it's like we were speaking on the last pod as well when we're talking about players being irreplaceable. We, yeah. we, we booked Mark Bernardo and Kyle Walker. Gundogan was unbelievable for Man City, but I still, if I was looking at the, the profile of play, would think that Gundogan is probably replaceable in the long term, whereas... Walker's just so unique. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, I think he scored, like, 40 or... 40% or higher of, of Gundogan's goal for the season came, like, after April. So, again, if you're looking at it over 12 months, then maybe he scores 10 goals and you think we can replace that. But it's the fact that he always kind of delivered in those final months when it really mattered that makes you think it's difficult to to replace. But it is still more sort of manageable to replace someone like Gundogan than it is Walker. Um, and sort of as, even though he lost his place in the team for, for a lot of the second half of the season, you saw kind of with how he handled Vinicius in those two legs against Real Madrid that he he still has a really important part to play, even if it wasn't maybe as important a role as he wanted. Um, so... It looks like he's got a more important role this season. Obviously, the captaincy is up for grabs. Um, and now Walker like, didn't commit to staying for these three years if he doesn't get what he wants. And, and that's what you want as, you know, as a club, as players, as managers. You want people who are never satisfied. And you know, there's a lot of mystique into what makes City so, so special and winning as much as they do and, and that is a big part of it this kind of motivation that ne- is never satisfied 100% I, I completely agree with you it's that, that that satisfaction word is probably what Pep you know will I don't know would Gundogan have been any different you don't know what goes on behind the scenes but it's interesting what you say there about Southgate and him potentially you know, twice retiring 
Man City's not satisfied with what's going on. You know, you, you offer me a deal. I want, you know, they'll have negotiated the terms. You know, he's got a very, very good deal at Man City, like, like we spoke about for the age he is. It's interesting because with the new EA24 game that's coming out, which we'll be reviewing on the channel, of course, it's, it was so interesting the last couple of years because I think he's seen some of his stats, Walker, and I think yeah. they've recorded him and he's yeah. just not being happy. And it, is, it all comes back to that satisfaction thing, isn't it? It's always that level up, level up, and it doesn't matter how old he is, he's still got that mentality of, I'm, I am this good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, um, you know, players, um, what, why should they care what what rating their the speed is on a, on a game? Why should they care what, what mark... I give them out of 10 in a player rating, but it's like they, they really do. They're obsessed with being the best at absolutely everything. Do you think that's because like since they've been 16, 17, 18, everything's been measured quantitatively? I think so, yeah. And I think it's hard, it's hard for us not in that kind of elite professional mindset to... What are you, talk, what are you talking about? <laughs> to, to get into it at times, but... Um, yeah, I, I think they're just so conditioned to to being the best at what they do that it, it is very hard and very jarring to then kind of be told that you're not. And and you see it with, you know, say Jack Grealish, who was looked heads and shoulders above any Aston Villa player and then came to City and suddenly he's not the best at sort of everything. And, and he struggled with that to sort of come to terms with finding his place and working out what he actually was the best at and what he could do. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of his first season was spent like passing to De Bruyne, which is completely understandable if you think there's Kevin De Bruyne, he's the best player ever. I will give him the ball. But obviously there was a lot of time when City actually wanted Grealish to have the ball. Um so it, it's just finding that that medium but uh, you know Bernardo Silva said when he re-signed his contract extension he was like he talked about how good City are at winning and how he wants to keep winning and you can see why mm. talking about a team who doesn't win frequently enough for my liking England yeah. 24 minutes was what Phil Foden got against Ukraine and really interesting because it kicked off a little bit Online, me and you have spoken about this online, which isn't always the metric for sense and, and you know logical viewings. But in this sense, I do kind of agree with the masses. We've spoken a little bit off air as well. I mean, basically, Gareth Southgate has essentially turned around and I'm paraphrasing, but said Phil Foden doesn't play centrally for his club and almost sort of, I don't know, um, insinuated that he doesn't see a long term future there for Phil Foden uh, within the England ranks. He said, um, he doesn't for his club, uh, said Southgate addressing Foden's prospects of playing in midfield. So presumably there is a reason for that, but he's fundamentally wrong, isn't it, this season? <laughs> so that's the problem with what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's really tough because, um, you know, we've discussed and debated Phil Foden a lot this season and sort of said, you know, even some of Pep's comments have, have been a bit strange. Um, on the, he was either the eve of the first Premier League game, I think it was a Community Shield where uh, Guardiola, having played Foden um, in midfield kind of all summer, then turned around and said, oh, well, he still has loads to learn. And you're like, oh, when is he ever going to pick him in midfield? Um, Southgate's saying the same, though. Yeah, but so this season, he hasn't always played in midfield. He did play in midfield centrally against Newcastle and ran the game and was outstanding. And when he's been picked out wide, um, more often than not, he's ended up in the middle with Alvarez. Uh, now, City's formation has changed a bit this season and Foden has played more as a sort of 10 than an 8, which relieves him of some of the defensive responsibilities that Guardiola sort of has said why he doesn't play as an eight more. And Southgate's going on about that as well and saying, you know, the, the work off the ball basically he wants more of. Um, the debate with Foden, the sort of counter-argument with Foden is always, well, how do you expect him to get better in the middle if you don't play him in the middle? And from a sort of England and City point of view, well, 
you can sort of understand why Foden might not get in the team ahead of um, Kevin De Bruyne or Ilkay Gundogan or, you know, Bernardo Silva even. You can't understand why he can't get in ahead of just uh, Jordan Henderson. Can't even say his name. Like, Henderson is, is nowhere near the level of De Bruyne. So Foden should be starting every... Foden should have been starting ahead of, like, Jordan Henderson at his best. So Jordan Henderson, when he's felt kind of so unloved at Liverpool and out of favour that he's had to go to a rubbish league to play, there the really shouldn't be a debate. Now, if Southgate wanted to come out and say, look, you don't appreciate the work that Rodri does at City to you know, protect the midfield and Rodri plays like two players and or they've got a John Stones coming in as a, a midfield pivot alongside Rodri or they've got Kovacic like I don't have that in my team I've got I'm playing Bellingham as sort of the the furthermost midfield um, and I've got Declan Rice I, I want a bit more stability and defensive reinforcement that Foden doesn't give fair enough um, but he's not said that he's just said well Pep doesn't pick him so why should I which is a bit silly yeah it just seemed really bizarre as well because you know it's like obviously your system's completely different to Pep Guardiola your ideology or philosophy is it's, it's, it's worlds apart you, there's no comparative needed between a Pep Guardiola system and a Gareth Southgate system so I don't understand I, I get the clamour because the questions that will have been directed towards well Pep doesn't get asked these questions but Pep does get asked these questions doesn't he it's a, it's a yeah. conversation yeah yeah and you know Pep will be asked again on, on Friday um, about Foden in midfield and will give an answer and and but Pep has always said as well like don't copy me just because I'm successful like don't think that because what I do with my team you can put it in your team and, and there aren't really kind of you, you obviously see a lot of Guardiola's influence in football but you don't see anyone really playing identical to to City is that is that a detriment to a lot of these players who play like obviously with Spain we've seen with Enrique it's been a very similar style of football and, and Rodri's been yeah. able to transfer that. But when you're looking at someone like a Grealish or like a Stones even or a Foden, are they going to be influenced in a, impacted in a negative way because it, it's not that Pep Guardiola style of football. It's completely different. Yeah, I think, um, I think the City style and sort of the Guardiola style is so... Um, it works so well together that players are built for the system and when they go out of the system, uh, they struggle to be as effective. Um, so in the way that you've not really seen anyone leave City and kind of uh, be transferred out of City and sort of do better than they were doing at City and, you know, you wonder kind of, you know, would Bernardo Silva, would, would, would there be any club where he could kind of shine as well as he does for City because he is built for their system. But at the same time, um, you have Spain winning major tournaments when Guardiola was at Barcelona and there's a strong kind of Guardiola influence in that Spain team. You have Germany winning when Guardiola was at Bayern and there's a really strong Guardiola influence at Bayern and in that German setup. And, you know, England have done better since now Southgate gets on with Guardiola and is influenced by him and you've seen he's made use of the fact that Guardiola has improved City's England players and made them a lot better and they are better footballers when they go to England so they can adapt and I think it it is overwhelmingly positive Guardiola's influence on national teams but at the same time like you say you, you just can't compare like for like because Foden is very different in a City setup than he is in an England setup, and even if he can't quite, you know, get what Guardiola wants of him from a central midfielder, he's surely doing enough to get in ahead of, um, you know, the the competition in in England. And it, it just it, it's been a I've not I've obviously not been there with Southgate um, and England for the games and the press conferences, but it has felt kind of a bit out of character from Southgate, both what he said about Southgate and how sort of underprepared he was for the um, the question about Jordan Henderson in sort of, 
you know, surely you're expecting people to ask about Henderson's selection and Henderson's obviously given this huge interview um, about it, but it, it does just seem oddly defensive when you should be coming out and saying, this is my style, this is what I believe in, this is how I think these players are best to fit in my team for what I want to do, rather than just saying, well, go and ask Pep. Well, as well, well yeah, yeah, and, and we can talk about this all day, but it's interesting with what we were speaking about in the last pod in terms of like regeneration and how Pep's been able to renovate that side. It's like now still Southgate is going down that, that same mantra, that same framework, those same players who he's still been almost, you know, indoctrinated into using for so many years now. And that evolution needs to happen at some point. And it's so interesting what you were saying there about the Germany side and the you know the Spanish side where, where Pep was filtered almost into everything you have that Spain side like Iniesta, Xavi, etc. I feel like those managers at that point will have just seen those players and almost gone right. We sort of adapt to you. We we will play almost in a sort of way because that's getting the best out of them. Southgate is almost negating these players from being able to hit their top level, and you're seeing that. I mean. Even, Even Grealish, like, I know it sounds daft, but checking back and giving it to the central midfielder like he does frequently. Yeah. You're not seeing that for England, he's trying to get the ball and do what he did at Aston Villa. So it's like regression in a straight sort of way for a period of time. Yeah, but then you see kind of like Alexander-Arnold take on the John Stones role for Liverpool and then suddenly that's like the best idea ever for England. And it's like, oh, Alexander, like, Alexander-Arnold, he might be better in midfield uh, than he is in defence for England. He's not a better option in midfield for England than Foden is in midfield. So it's like, if you're going to take the principles, you kind of need it all to be um, coherent. And also, like, I, there, was, there was a load of issue around, you know, should Henderson still be picked now he's gone to the Saudi League? I don't really have an issue with it for the first squad, but you've got to think that, like, a tournament's coming next summer, which isn't very far away. Now, do you want to be starting to play Phil Foden in your England midfield in April when you're saying, all right, he's had six months in City in midfield so he can now play at a lower level in a worse team um, with two months before a major tournament? Or do you want to start getting him in now because he's kind of... he Phil Foden is going to be more important or more, yeah, more important to your chances of winning Euro 2024 than Jordan Henderson is. So, but you know, you know what he's going to do, though, don't you? You can, all, you can already see it. Unless you know, if if you're thinking Henderson's going to be part of your plans for, I don't see now why you should be starting any England player that you don't think is going to be starting or a big part of your Euro 2024 team. Hmm. Agreed. Anyway, enough Southgate bashing. And, and, I, and I quite like Southgate. Uh, or yeah. I, I have done, yeah. Um, you know, he's been a very good England manager, but you sort of start now wondering, you know, and it's a bit daft saying, on the one hand, well, Foden doesn't play for um, City in midfield, so why should I play him there when Madison doesn't play left wing and you've shunted him in there? because he looked good in training. So, yeah, I, I just have... I, I like Gareth Southgate. I found his decisions and explanation of decisions a bit weird this time, and Foden will be key to Euro 2024 if they want to win it, so get him in ASAP. Yeah, and he's got just a plethora of options now, the plethora of English players that are in form as well. I've just mentioned a few of them there, but even when you look at Jude Bellingham, yeah. he's got a whole host of... It's, it's a luxury, but also it's a little bit of a curse for him now because you're going to have to really test his managerial prowess. Like, where are you going to fit the best players in to get the, be the, the best out of them? Because the target is going to be to, by the FA, you know, English fans, is to go out and win it in Germany. So what are you going to do? You've got Jude Bellingham in there who's flying at the minute. You're going to put him in the 10. You're going to keep him defensive like we've seen him before. You've got Declan Rice in there, 100 million pound player. What, what you know? The, the, the front six that everyone wants to see is... Rice, Bellingham, Foden, Saka, Grealish, Kane. But maybe that's too attacking. Maybe that doesn't give it enough defensive cover. But if it doesn't, Gareth Southgate has to come out and say, this is why I'm not playing these six, because they are the, the most talented 
front six and they would start as a front six in kind of most clubs which is a higher level than international football so yeah it's just at the point where if you're not picking them you've got to kind of have a very good reason for for why not and and the reasoning that's been given hasn't been good enough Mm. yeah Attack is the best form form of defence, I think. That's that's how I'm going with it. And that's I've taken Southgate a little bit, but I don't, he's overachieved, but I think he's had easy runs as well, to be honest, in these competitions. But he's brought the group together. But anyway, um, Pep taking over Southgate then at any point? <laughs> uh, um, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised to see Pep at some point, you know, before he retires, but... Uh, it, I can't see it happening in 2024 at all. You know, he's under contract at City until 2025, so why would he rip that up when he's never ripped up a contract in his life and say, yeah, I'm going to give up the chance to win another Premier League and Champions League to take over England? We've said as well, he's too obsessive, isn't he? It has to yeah. be day to day on the training ground with Pep, I think. Yeah, Just... yeah. I think, you know, at some point, he would love to manage a national team and it's very complicated with. Spain, given you know their the whole Madrid Barcelona vibe and his uh, support for uh, the Catalan movement, so well, Madrid. Um, and you know his his great hero uh, Marcelo Bielsa has kind of shown the that you know he's happy to move around and manage various national teams. Uh, we've got Ancelotti going to Brazil. I think you know Pep said before a a country should always be managed by someone from that country. But I think you could see him making an exception in later life if he wants to experience a national team in a major tournament. Capello, Sven-Goran Eriksson, come on, Pat. But academy graduates, we're speaking of this. um, Obviously, Lee Carsley's squad, um, the under-23s, was comprised of 10 Manchester City players or, or products of the Manchester City uh, Academy. Once again, Pep controlling football, Pep influencing football, but but not just that as well. It's not obviously just Pep Guardiola, it's Caldoun, it's the whole City makeup right now. The the flux of City players or products of the City setup is just staggering at the minute, isn't it? And and, and none more so than in, in the England setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, I think it's six six from City and four who've left permanently, but I think there are five on loan. Uh, there's only Rico Lewis, but Rico Lewis as as an 18-year-old kind of getting into that under-21 setup, showing how how good he is. Um, and yeah, they I think Liam Delap scored. Callum Doyle, who's a defender on loan at Leicester, scored. Um, Cole Palmer very recently off City, but now uh, at Chelsea scored. So. Yeah, it, it just kind of shows how much talent there is coming through, and and talent that's that's easy to easy to forget you know City have been linked with like Evan Ferguson recently and you think yeah he looks a really good player but kind of not too long ago Liam Delap was scoring on his City debut and people were expecting great things of him and and it's not it's not happened for him yet but he's started very well on loan at Hull um and you know he's, he's scoring goals again which is a good sign and it's still a huge mountain for anyone to kind of go out on loan and then come back and prove themselves in the first team and, and even more so when you've kind of got Erling Haaland as a as a number nine and Julian Alvarez behind him. So um, it is tough, but there are still loads of good players um, at City, um, either either in the squad or, or on loan. Callum Doyle is another who is uh, very, very, very highly rated and looks good wherever you put him really and looks kind of made for that City defence so it's going to be really interesting after his year at Leicester where you know they'll be looking for promotion back to the Premier League what what happens with him uh, and the sooner they're in the England setup, the the better really. Mm. Obviously Enzo Mareska there at Leicester as well so yeah, hopefully yeah. that's going to harness yeah. it. Yeah well Leicester had started well and then I think De Lapp, um scored a, a late winner against them for Hull so Mareska will have been as annoyed as he'll have been at losing, he'll have had a, a quiet smile, I'm sure, given how um, important he was in, in developing Delap. 
Interesting how you mentioned that though in terms of the lone players and you do look at that and you think McAtee, Taylor Harwood, Bellis as examples but then you look at the ones who've stayed within the squad and haven't been out on loan. You know, your Foden's recently, your Cole Palmer's, your Oscar Bob who yeah. they've not got rid of this season, you know, for obvious reasons. It is interesting how these lone players don't really come back as of yet anyway. No, no, no. And uh, McAtee kind of, they didn't really want McAtee to go out last year. And he said, I'm going to be the first one to go out and come back and nail a place in that team. And obviously it didn't happen this year, but they still, you know, they were knocking back 30 million bids for him this year, this summer. So they they would not count on him, him leaving permanently this year so there's still another chance for him to kind of do well at Sheffield United and um, and then come back and maybe get a place in that team and the same for Doyle Doyle you know went out on loan really really early like at a time when he he wasn't really on many people's radar at all went out to Sunderland in League One and did really well and then last year at Coventry and did well in you know another team who did fantastically well so um is that kind of it, we're talking with Juan uh, Marlilo about in a press conference about you know are young players impatient these days and he, he sort of in a sense they are but in a sense that's why they get to the top uh, the ones who get to the top will get to the top quicker and um, you know those players sooner or later someone is going to go out on loan and come back into the City first team squad whether it is Delap, McAtee, Doyle or somebody else and it it will happen it's just we don't know we don't know who right guys we'll leave it there England chat over at last Southgate chat over and we'll be back for act two speech in a bit hello everybody welcome back to the Talking City podcast City return to action this week, this weekend, um, four wins out of four in a Super Cup under the belt. Not a bad start. A lot of sort of important things coming up though that I want to discuss, including a showdown with Arsenal coming up in, in six games. But I think the, the first thing to discuss, and the, the, we've, we've touched on it on the pod previously, is the new captain. That's, that's got to be selected. You know, Gundogan obviously leaving. Uh, Kev now out for sort of like five to, to six months. Um Straight question: Who who would be yours? I'll, I'll set I'll set you up with mine straight away, and I, I I'd go Rodri, hundred percent. I'd go Rodri, wow. just because I feel like he's Mister Consistent. He's dependable, reliable, plays pretty much every single game. I feel like he's a bit of a conductor in the midfield as well. I like a midfield general as a captain. I feel yeah. a bit of a scope of, of either end of the pitch, and I feel like you're seeing a lot more with Rodri now a lot more leadership qualities. I feel I'm seeing him talk to the younger lads a lot more on the pitch, sort with Oscar Bob the other day, and I just think to myself, he's that guy. Um, I know you're going to say, but yeah, I'd, I'd go Rodri. Who do you think I'm going to say? Diaz. Well, I would have given it to De Bruyne. No, he can't though. He's out. <laughs> <laughs> but at the start of the summer, I would say it was kind of either De Bruyne or Diaz. And now I think Kyle Walker's pushed himself to to the top. Walker has really kind of um, taken on a leadership role. And I mean, he was part of the five captains anyway. Um, but since kind of City made him captain for the summer games in pre-season and then he's kind of kept that since and he's really taking it on to the point of you know acting like a captain do you have to play more games though perhaps but he started every game so far that's the you know he i mean he when he came he came through after the fulham game to speak to us and it is very very rare that any player well that that walker stops to speak um and in a mix zone you're generally looking at like Two or three minutes with a player. Were you, were you just looking really approachable that day? Yeah, I think I was, yeah. yeah. But you're looking at two or three or five if it's good or eight if it's really, really good. And Walker gave us 15, which is like unheard of. Um, but kind of spoke to a guy who feels like a captain and feels like he should be 
taking on the responsibilities of a captain, which, yes, does involve speaking to the media. And, you know, he was speaking as kind of a, a leader of the group and he was talking about his dinner with Pep where they went for sushi and he was sort of saying, you know, as much as it was like Pep, the natural inclination would be to read that it was like Pep trying to convince him to stay. But it was also him kind of like putting across what the players want for the season and getting back what Pep expects of the players. And, you know, it was it was kind of like a doing what a captain would do. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of Walker as a captain, partly because I like the idea of him coming through the mix zone and talking bullishly about um, City's chances. But even, you know, like he said, when he said to the players, like, I told them all at the beginning of the season, let's try and blow everyone away in the first half of the year and uh, not be playing catch-up this year in the Premier League. It's like, that is a big thing to say and something that, you know, could be looked back on and laughed at by rival fans if their team wins the Premier League. But I, I kind of like it as a as a play and uh, and I like that kind of that putting your own sort of slant on the leadership already um, so yeah I think Walker has definitely played himself into contention it's a weird little redemption arc as well isn't it I'm not saying he was going downhill or anything like that but if he if he's able to not only performance wise and I know he's always been like an off the pitch leader as well but if if you're able to see him you know get a new contract become the captain he's in every single Manchester City starting 11, which will be interesting when you're looking at the almost formation tactic, how Pep's going to do that. But if he's able to do that at 33 years of age in a Pep Guardiola system, it's unheard of. I mean, it's, it's completely unique. Yeah, yeah. And he might not play every game, um, but then, say, Fernandinho didn't play every game when he was captain. By the time he was captain, um, Vincent Company didn't play every game. So you wouldn't necessarily need to, to do that just... Just you would just have to be there, and he's kind of fit enough that he would always always be there. I think he had one one big injury last year that kept him out for a few months, but other than that, you know, he was he was there. But I think the wider sort of things that we're talking about, like Walker, Diaz, and Rodri, are, are three leaders, are three captains right there. Harlan's probably another one um, that absolutely speaks his mind and does not does not hold back when he. Um, gets a chance because there is also kind of another spot up for grabs in the in the captaincy group so um, it'd be interesting to see who who takes that so you've maybe got De Bruyne Diaz Walker uh, Rodri and then yeah maybe Harlan Harlan would be my my shout for it's a wild card for number five yeah but you, you know you kind of yeah always worth having Harlan's voice in there yeah, I was going to talk, I guess it's longevity, but I was going to say maybe Bernardo's on the periphery, but I guess there's just been a little bit too, I don't know if the City fans had completely acclimatised the Bernardo being captain with all the chat over the last Yeah, years. I think um, Joe wrote a piece on this and kind of said, um, you know, Bernardo and John Stones are both kind of like jokers in the dressing room and would maybe, uh, you know, the last year when um, they were deciding Stones... Um, sort of put leaflets out with like John Stone's man of the people on it to sort of like pitch himself for the captaincy but obviously taking the mick and you know whether you need those characters just to stay as like as jokers rather than sort of trying to g everyone up um knowing that once they're on the pitch they will have no problem um you know I've no idea how Bernardo wasn't booked against Fulham because like he was on the bench but he was shouting at the fourth official he was like moaning at every decision, calling for cards for Fulham players from the bench. It was like, he was basically refing the game uh, himself. So the the good thing about City is they do have a load of experience and leadership and like someone like Kovacic as well could come straight in and make make an impact. And that was Joe's shout for like the fifth captain. But um, yeah, I think for the... Uh, the, the good news is that even people who aren't in that group of five will still have their say and be heard. So like, even if Harlan doesn't get there, it's not going to stop him from saying what he thinks. Yeah, not all. Champions League, coming back, exciting stuff. Red Star Belgrade. Um, 
at home, uh, Leipzig away, which been a tricky one for City last two times, unusually, in the Champions League. Um, the young boys, but I mean, you're looking at that group and you're expecting a walk. Listen, I'm being brash, I'm being abrasive, but you'd expect City to absolutely walk it, wouldn't you? The Leipzig away, you're probably looking and thinking... But yeah, yeah, I saw, you sort of see it every year now and it's like, oh, City have got an easy group and it's like, yeah, because the top seeds and they tend to, you know, by top seeds you tend to get a better group than you would if you weren't top seeds because you're not getting one of the best eight teams in the competition and I know they could have got like more difficult teams but it's like generally, statistically speaking, you're probably going to get a nice draw. I don't think, you know, like United haven't really got a tricky draw even though Again. they're not top seeds you know they've got Bayern but um, they would expect to go through and you know City got Bayern last year and beat them and got Real Madrid last year and beat them so when you're the best team in Europe you, you're inevitably going to get a good draw because no one's as good as you um, yeah Leipzig will be Leipzig will be really interesting they're sort of one of the most fascinating teams in in Europe and they've had one of the most fascinating summer transfer windows. They've got shot of a load of really good players like Guardiola and others. Um, and they brought a load of players in, which is kind of like the the Red Bull way, but it will still be interesting to see um, how they how they get on. And like you say, away from home, not, not the easiest. I'm sure Guardiola would be delighted with the draw, um, but playing Belgrade at home first up and then if they can get um, three points in Leipzig then that does set them up for a, a nice early qualification too easy Sally too easy <laughs> yeah. well it never it never gets exciting until the the sort of the end the you know quarterfinals but isn't that a privilege that City fans are in that boat yeah but it's also kind of the competition I think you could there's very rarely any shocks as they're in the group stages. There might be a few shock results, but you can probably pick 14 or 15 of the 16 teams that are going to go through. Yeah, you probably, you probably could. Like if there was, hypothetically, if like Porto or AC Milan were in the same group, one of them might, if one of <coughs> yeah. them was to go through ahead of the other, you might go, oh, look at that one, but it wouldn't be, Yeah. wow. Yeah, it's not like Ludogorets are going to get through at the expense of Real Madrid or anything like that. Yeah, no, you're right. And then obviously... With the Champions League um, been involved in, in, in a lot of the games now, Premier League games coming thick and fast. It's getting to that point again, isn't it, where it's like, right, kicking into gear now. It's, it's, once again, it feels like business end already. Obviously, not business end, but it feels like these games are so pivotal in the season and with City having the fast start, it all sort of culminates in and leads up to an Arsenal showdown very soon. I mean, I was having a look at Arsenal's fixtures as well. They've got a, a, not an easy next five or six and, and Spurs is in there as well. Spurs have got off to a flyer, obviously, the, the North London derby. Already, I mean, I've had a look at the month of September and I'm looking at it and thinking City are going to win every single game and they're expecting to win the next seven out of seven, including the Champions League games, of course. But, once again, if City are to play Arsenal, they're able to beat Arsenal. Arsenal maybe falter against Spurs and a couple of other. You're literally looking at a side already. Obviously, they've faltered against you know, you know, teams so far, Arsenal. But you're looking at it and thinking, this is going to get away from them here already. Well, it shows how important that win over United was for them, which could have gone the other way. Because having dropped points at Fulham, if they then lose at home to United, you're then looking at this block of games and thinking... Spurs and City at home. If you don't win those, like you are really, really in trouble, and sort of you're up against it because you, you kind of got to win your home games. Um, but because they've beaten United, there's now kind of less kind of pressure. We've not seen the inquests into what's wrong with Arsenal this season, um, and they can now target those games and think, yeah, we can try and win them and play without the pressure of them absolutely being must win. Um, but at the same time, City, of all the games that City have got coming up in this next block before the October break, Arsenal away is the one. You know, if they 
if they win that game, then a few draws before that will be quickly forgotten because to sort of end the run before the October break by beating Arsenal, that would really kind of lift them and remind everyone that um, they're not to be not to be messed with. I think the Premier League needed that reminder when City played Arsenal last season down at the Emirates. It was like, oh, yeah, City is still the top dogs here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the games last year against Arsenal were really, really important because they, they played them in the FA Cup as well at the Etihad in January, the end of January, um, when Arsenal were by far the better team and their January signings looked good. And City kind of just weren't, they weren't fortunate, I suppose, to win, but it could have gone either way. Played them at the, the Emirates and they kind of admit they got out of jail a bit. It could have, it could have almost should have gone the other way, but Arsenal didn't take the chances. And then by the time they played them at the Etihad, City just steamrolled them. It was like men against boys. But Arsenal winning the Community Shield and you've got them saying, oh yeah, that chip's off our shoulder. We're, we now feel we can beat them in the league. Here's your chance, boys. So um, we're, it's one of them where if Arsenal win, it's fantastic for them. But City kind of aren't seen as out of it because they always come good. But if City beat Arsenal, like you say, it's almost already kind of like, I don't think you're going to beat City this year. Especially with City taking the City top already. It's completely different. The, the, the makeup is obviously the hunter and the hunted, but City being top and just carrying on what they already did it. Yeah, and it happened again a few years ago, but I feel like City play Arsenal away, Liverpool away, United away and Chelsea away in the first half of the season, um, which means that they've got all those to come in the second half of the season. And I mean, they've not dropped a point at the Etihad this calendar year, but you're always stronger in your home games. So it's like City's rivals need for them to not be top by the time like January comes because City should be stronger with all those home games against rivals. So if, if City are, you know, if City are top having played all those teams away from home, then then everyone else needs to be pretty worried. Mm, especially with Kev coming back and that last six months. But yeah, guys, we'll leave that act here. We'll be back in just a second discussing the West Ham game. See you in a sec. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. We're discussing West Ham, discussed it on the last podcast, but we're nearer now. So uh, yeah, West Ham United away for City, the next game coming up. Started well, West Ham, very, very well. Obviously, departure of Declan Rice, you expected a little bit of a hole there, but yeah, it seems to do. Is it Alvarez who's come in central midfield for them? Is it Edson Alvarez, I think? He's, yeah, yeah, he's come in. He seems to have filled the void pretty nicely. So it's not going to be simple for City this one, is it? No, and uh, James Ward-Prowse will uh, test City's uh, set-piece defending. Um, yeah, it, it's they've been party poopers this season, West Ham, basically. They kind of deflated Chelsea's early optimism. They uh, sent Brighton packing. It's kind of, I think I looked and City have got kind of the, almost like the, the least direct um, attack. You know, they take loads of passes and time, and West Ham are like, completely the opposite they'll just counter and in lightning speed and and score that way so um it's going to be two two very different styles um sort of a few years ago West Ham started getting the better of City by like letting them have the wings and just saying we will defend the inside and you can have whatever space you want on the wings but you're not going to get in our box basically you're not going to beat us that way and then we'll counter um, and City went there on the first day of last season and just did not use the wings at all. Just like the fullbacks came in, they just played right through the middle. And uh, Moyes admitted afterwards he just didn't know what to do. He'd sort of he'd, he'd planned for similar, and then City sort of finally responded, and and Pep found a way, a way to sort of beat the tactic that had been frustrating them. So um, I'm expecting both. Pep, who is who will be back, which is a boost for City and um, and Moyes to sort of both try and have something up their sleeves to to get the better of the other one. Yeah, I think I think traditional as well. You've you've looked at maybe Pep Guardiola sides previously, 
and gone physicality maybe the thing you know um you know height or whatever or bullying pep side they're great technically but can they deal with the aerial assault well they can now there, there is i mean pep's are this man city side are just physically imposing aren't they yeah like rodri is enormous harland is enormous and the back four are all enormous really but like you know they want to travel with four centre backs, so um, they then they're very very tough to to beat from dead ball situations. Now they kind of turn that weakness into a, a huge strength, so um, they'll certainly be going toe for toe with, and head to head and everything else you can imagine, leg to leg. Everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, prediction for this one. I think it'd be two nil. 2-0 City, I can see sort of similar to last year, really. Just, you know, West Ham making a game of it, but um, Haaland proving too too good. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I can... It's so interesting what you said there about Moyes. It's like, because he just gets to the stage where you're like, you know, you can combat them, you can try combat them tactically, but when you're just coming out afterwards and saying, look, I tried, I didn't know what to do. Like, yeah, yeah, but then I think, you know, he kind of gets a bad rap with sort of how badly it went at United, people see him as like a, a bit of a, a joke figure and like... European champion now. Tactically not up to it, but he's, um, he is, he has been really, really good at West Ham and yeah, they've won European trophy and the crowd will be bang up for it. So um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I can see, I said this last time, but I can see a bit of a, a, bit, a, bit of a route I don't know. I feel they're going to be on pomp. They've had the rest, City, and, it's, and Stones and Grealish, we haven't spoken about as well, potentially coming back. It's, yeah. it's on the, they're on a bit of a wave at the minute, I think, and I think West Ham's wave isn't going to be able to compete, obviously, with City's wave. Um, 4-1. Yeah, I think they're going to... I said 4-0 last time as well. I'm just all about the fours. Um, but a City win is what we're both predicting, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, everybody, that's going to conclude the Talking City podcast um, for a Tuesday, unusually. Uh, we'll be back on Friday uh, talking Manchester City, of course. Uh, make sure you're liking all of our content across our socials as well. Make sure you check us out on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all that good stuff. Hit a like on this video as well if you're watching on YouTube. Leave us a five-star rating on all of your favourite podcast providers, and we'll see you in a bit. Cheers. Cheers.